Thanks for joining us on today's edition of Reengineering Your Finances. On today's episode, it's a mailbag edition of the program. We've got lots of great questions from listeners like you. Want to submit a question? Don't hesitate to uh, send us one. We might feature it in a future show. Today, we've got questions about 401ks, leaving money behind to multiple children and how to do that properly. What to do if you're turning 72 and just now retiring? Does that create extra complications? We're also talking about housing and downsizing and much more on the way on today's show. We're going to cover a lot of ground, so stay tuned to today's episode of Reengineering Your Finances with Charles Weldy. It's time for Reengineering Your Finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Welcome to another episode. Walter Storholt here alongside Charles Weldy, founder and CPA, certified financial planner as well at CP Weldy Group. Charles, I'm just realizing for the first time after, you know, a billion episodes with you that CP pops up a lot, those letters in, in your credentials and in your website and your name. C, CP is just, you know, those, those letters are very important to you. <laughs> Yeah, CPA, uh, CPA, CFP, you know. CP Weldy Group. Yeah, got, CP got, Weldy Group. Hey, got it everywhere. Know. That's right. Um, well, you are, and you're also the MVP, um, flipping them around a little bit there, uh, of our financial planning conversations each and every week here on the show. And so I'm excited for today's mailbag edition because we can cover so much ground, Charles. And again, folks, if you want to submit a question to be featured on a future show, you can do that at the website, CP weldygroup.com. I got a smattering of questions here. Charles, you ready to dive into the first one? Absolutely. All right. We're talking housing in this first one in a way. Jennifer says, we're planning to sell our home and downsize to a smaller house within the next year. Our current home is paid off, so we could pay cash for the next home. This seems wise, but when interest rates were lower, we were thinking of getting a mortgage and investing the leftover cash. Is that strategy no longer recommended with the new rates? Well, I mean... You know, I think everybody's different. There's no right or wrong answer here. But one of the things I want to um, kind of emphasize here is like, hey, if you buy a house and uh, you pay cash for it, you'll never be able to write off any mortgage interest debt because they have a rule, Walter, called acquisition indebtedness. And um, December, what was it, December 15, 2017, they changed the rules and said, hey, for the most part, you can deduct up to $750,000 mortgage, the interest on a $750,000 mortgage. But, you know, that seven hundred fifty dollars has to include improvements that you make to your home or acquisition indebtedness. So if, you know, Jennifer were to buy a house and just pay all cash and never get a mortgage, then in the future, if she decided to get a home equity loan and didn't put improvements into her house, she could never deduct that mortgage interest. So I might say, hey, wait a minute, how much cash do you have? Oh, you have plenty of cash. Great. Why don't you, you know, maybe like, you know, just take a small mortgage, you have $100,000, $150,000 so that you establish the fact that you have acquisition indebtedness. And in the future, if you needed to deduct some interest, you could, you know, does that, I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, no right or wrong answer, but for the most part, uh, if you don't, you know, when you buy the house within a certain period of time, get a mortgage, then you might be, you know, for the rest of your life, not able to deduct the mortgage interest uh, when you get a mortgage in the future. Okay, very good. That's helpful. Thanks, Jennifer, for that question. Let's go to one from Chris here. Chris says, I max out my 401k every year, and I'm told that I make too much money to contribute to a Roth IRA. But I still want to save money for retirement more than just the 401k 
contributions. Uh, where am I supposed to put that extra money? Well, a lot of companies today are allowing uh, you to put money in a 401k Roth IRA. They're actually like amending the current plans to allow you to put, you know, after-tax money in there. And if, if you know, if that's the case, I would tell Chris, like, hey, you know, really depending upon the size of his current, you know, 401k. And why do I say that? I mean, for the most part, uh, money doubles every 12 years at 6%. So if, uh, if Chris had $500,000 in his 401k in 12 years, if he doesn't put another nickel in there and it averaged 6% over those 12 years per year, then he would have a million dollars. And then by the time he got to be you know, 72 and had to take his money out, he might have to take out forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 and he might not need all that money. So it might be prudent for Chris to talk to his employer or the HR department and say, hey, look, it's not that hard to amend our 401k. Let's add, you know, a sleeve for Roth contributions. And then, you know, Chris, during the remainder of his career at that company, could opt to put, you know, a certain percentage or all of his money in a Roth, depending upon what he currently had in his normal traditional 401k. It's one of those good problems to have, but a problem nonetheless, trying to look for those extra opportunities. Hopefully that points you in the right direction, Chris. Don't hesitate to reach out if you have questions about any of the things that you're hearing on today's show or need more clarification or want to run through some of the things we're chatting about through the uh, your own lens of your retirement future. Again, the number to call to reach Charles is 610-388-7705. All right, Tony's up next. Tony says, I want to leave money to both of my sons when I die, and I have two rental properties that I want them to split evenly. Do I need a will, a trust, or both? Well, I mean, I would, I'm not a lawyer, but I would just say, hey, you need a will. Obviously, you want to you know, put down in writing where you want the properties to go upon your demise. But I don't think you need a trust. I mean, for the most part, when uh, Tony passes away, whatever the fair market value of each of those properties are, his kids are going to inherit that at that value. So if they chose to sell the properties, there probably wouldn't be much of a, uh, a capital gain. And if they you know, chose to you know, continue owning the properties and rent them out, they'd have a higher basis for depreciation. So I think having a will, having it specifically laid out in your will is sufficient enough. A trust might complicate things. Uh, I'd rather ensure that you know, the kids get a step up in basis. And you know, if, it, if uh, Tony bought the property or both properties, say $150,000 each, and now they're worth $500,000 each, when he passes away, you know, basically his two kids are going to inherit at $500,000 each and not have to pay any capital gains tax and have a higher basis for depreciation. And that would uh, really uh, turn into less taxable income because they have a depreciation deduction far higher than Tony had when he was alive. Well, that's interesting. And I think that's one that a lot of people do have confusion about, n- not even really knowing what a trust is for and whether they need one. A lot of people just assume that's it's so complicated. It's probably only for the super rich. I don't need it. But th- that ends up not being the case, right? Yeah. I mean, a trust might be um, might be viable if like the property is owned in another state, you know, and uh, maybe he can make uh, the kids um, owners like upon his demise and still get the step up. But it gets more complicated. I don't think he needs it complicated at all. Yeah, that's good. Uncomplicated is great when we can uh, make that the case. All right. How about uh, David's question? Let's see if this one can be made uncomplicated. David says, I just turned 72 and I'm about to retire. 
I recently took a look at how much I'll have to start withdrawing from my IRAs and 401k because I'm old and they're forcing me to make withdrawals. Between my Social Security and the money they're forcing me to take out, I'll have a higher income in retirement than I have right now while I'm working. Can they really make me withdraw that much? Well, that's why they name it required minimum distribution. Yeah, they can it's make required, you. <laughs> right? Yeah, they definitely can make you. And, you know, what I would suggest is like, hey, you know, yeah, once you hit 72, you know, uh, you got to take out roughly 4% of your account balance. So you take that out first, but you can go in for a second helping, Walter, and you can like take out additional monies if you took your RMD and transfer that to a Roth IRA, pay the tax. But now what you've just done is like all the future earnings on that Roth are tax free and you lowered your future requirement and distributions because you actually made your account balance lower. So I would like, you know, if he was my client, David, I would just say, hey, David, let's like really like try to structure uh, a Roth, you know, conversion plan maybe over the next three to five to seven years so that eventually, um, you know, we can maybe get you in a lower tax bracket. And an ideal tax bracket for most taxpayers, Walter, would be about 12%. All right. So if you're in a 12% bracket, you can have about $110,000 of income if you're married. And if you're single, maybe half of that 55,000 round numbers. So, you know, it's doable for a lot of people to get in that 12% tax bracket if they reallocate their assets, reposition their assets from tax deferred, maybe to tax free or after tax accounts. Okay, very good. Yeah, restructuring some things there could help out, David. Great question. All right, let's go to Jake's question here. Jake says, my company makes contributions to my 401k, but they'll only do it in the form of company stock. I don't want to have too much company stock, so I've just been selling it immediately and then investing in something else. Any reason I shouldn't be doing that? Yeah, I mean, uh, when people have um, you know company stock in their 401k, uh, there's a special tax treatment it gets uh, when they leave the company and clean out their accounts, and that's long-term capital gains. Well, you know, as we speak, long-term capital gains are taxed at 15%. And I'd rather somebody pay 15 than pay 24, 25, 28, you know, eventually on their, you know, IRA distribution. So uh, really depending upon the size of his account, I would probably uh, tell this gentleman, Jake, I'd say, Jake, look, you know, you probably should have some money invested in company stock. How much? I don't know. But, you know, obviously, you know, a highly concentrated position might not be good, but selling it all as soon as you get it might not be uh, good also. You know, there might be like some happy median. So I would suggest that, hey, let's, um, you know, as long as he thinks the company's stock is going to, you know, grow in the future, let's allocate a certain portion of your, you know, company benefit in your 401k to company stocks that eventually when you leave the company and retire, we might be able to pull that out and get capital gains treatment on that particular stock as opposed to just leaving it in the IRA and taking it out at a later date as ordinary income. Okay, very good. We'll keep covering a lot of ground here with Olivia's next question. Olivia says, my husband... Oh, she's got a multiple choice question for you here, Charles. How about that? That might be a a first here on the show. Uh, (laughs) My husband and I are ready to build our dream home and we're trying to figure out the best way to finance it. Should we, A, be patient and save up enough cash to buy land, then get a loan to build the house? B, sell our current house, use that cash to buy the land and rent somewhere else while we build? C, finance the land and the construction? Or D, none of the above? 
Well, I think uh, I'm kind of like finance the land and the construction. I mean, if they have a house, obviously it's worth something, right? And they're eventually going to sell it and move into their dream home, so to speak. So I would say, hey, don't be patient and save up enough cash because by the time you do that, maybe the land's going to be a lot more expensive, all right? Uh, if you sell your house and you move into an apartment, you know, that might not be a good thing because who knows how long you're going to be there. And my assumption is you kind of enjoy where you're currently living. Uh, but if you really want to, you know, buy that dream home, I would say, hey, you know what, you know, let's uh, get the plans together. How much is it going to cost? Let's get 100% financing. And then eventually, when you sell your house, pay that construction loan off and have a traditional mortgage. And then, you know, I know interest rates are high as we speak, but, you know, hopefully in the, in the future, whether it's a near or distant future, rates will come down. They generally do over time and you can refinance and you can live happily ever after. So that's my answer. Finance the land and the construction and then sell your house. And then, you know, hopefully you'll you'll have the best of all worlds. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where waiting can, even patience could actually bite you a little bit here, right? Like you could be patient and interest rates could just go up even further or no, inflation absolutely. could go up even further. So that, that could bite you. But yeah, then it's not a bad thing if interest rates go down because the refinance element that you mentioned. So a couple of things can actually work in your favor, it sounds like, uh, in your situation there, Olivia. So thanks for that breakdown, Charles. That's helpful. Sure. How about a question here from Ronnie? Ronnie says, I've been told that I don't have enough of emergency fund in the bank. What's more important, building that up or making sure that I'm maxing out that 401k for context of about five years from retirement? Well, I would have to know what Ronnie's 401k is worth. So, you know, if it, it was adequate, you know, in terms of what he needs for retirement, I mean, I would like concentrate on the emergency fund. If it wasn't, if he was underfunded in his 401k, I would continue to fund it. But I have to admit, I don't have enough information, you know, if, if uh, for the most part, he was happy with, you know, maybe withdrawing four and a half percent of, let's just say he had a million dollars and, you know, he only needs $45,000 a year to live off of over and above his Social Security and assuming he has no pension, then I'm fine. Hey, fund the emergency. But if he's short and he needs to put more money in to get to that magic number of like, you know, million dollars or, you know, my example, I'm just using a million dollars, then, hey, continue to fund the 401k. I don't have enough information. I don't know what it's worth, you know, but again, you don't want to underfund or overfund your 401k. That's the point. That's a really good point. Yeah, look for that right balance of those two elements. All right, maybe we can squeeze in two more here, Charles. Uh, how about one from Gwen? Gwen says, I have a whole life insurance policy that's very expensive, so I'm thinking about canceling it and getting a much cheaper term policy. I had breast cancer almost 10 years ago, but that hasn't been a problem for a while, so I don't expect that to present any problems with the new policy. Any reason I shouldn't go ahead and terminate the whole life policy and use the cash value that's built up for something else? Yeah, I guess my first question is, like, is she really insurable? I mean, even though she had the cancer 10 years ago, hey, who knows like, what her current situation is? I would say this. I mean, if you have a permanent policy, you can always, like, lower the death benefit to lower the insurance costs and really make it permanent. So I would probably look into, like, hey, how can we take your current whole life policy and enhance it? And what I mean by that is, like, hey, you know, make sure that it lasts rather than going out and buying a new one. Uh, I wouldn't opt to go out and buy a new one unless, you know, the cost of the new one was a lot you know, cheaper than the older one. And I would think that that would be highly improbable. That's a good point. Yeah, may, 
may definitely want to actually get the numbers run on that situation versus, um, you know, kind of giving advice here before we truly know the numbers. That That's one where big flashing lights got to say it depends. Right, Charles? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, again, covered a ton of ground today. If you've got any questions for Charles, give him a call at 610-388-7705 or online at cpweldygroup.com. Last one of the day is from Alexis, and Alexis says, My grandmother died recently and left a substantial sum of money. I'm only 29, and it's more money than I've ever had before, so I don't want to be an idiot with it. (laughs) What should I do with this money so that I'm not mad at myself 40 years from now when I'm trying to retire? Wise question from a 29-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically, I would just put her in stocks, you know. I would I would say all right. How much do you really need, you know, from this inheritance to spend over the next like you know, five ten years? Kind of carve that out, you know, invest it conservatively. That's there to spend if you need it. But hey, let's take the bulk of the money and invest it in stocks. Historically, stocks have outperformed, you know, most other asset classes. I mean, cash, you know, maybe you get one to three fixed income, maybe you get three to five, but stocks you get like north of six, you know. So I would think, uh, you know, hey, let's get a long-term stock diversified portfolio for a good portion of that. And uh, again, the rule 72 says every 12 years, money doubles at 6%. So she's only 29 when she's, uh, what, uh, 29 plus 12 would be uh, 41. It would be worth double that. And then when she was worth 41 plus 12, which would be 53, it'd be worth double that. So, you know, basically, I think I would steer towards investing in stocks, a well-diversified portfolio for the long term. Yeah, really good question, Alexis. Thanks for submitting that one to us. And a big thank you to all our question askers today. Well, again, if you have questions for Charles, don't hesitate to reach out. See if you'd be a good fit to work with one another. You can call 610-388-7705 or go online to cpweldygroup.com, cpweldygroup.com. We're going to put that description, uh, that contact information in the description of today's show. So go check that information out there. Charles, thank you for all the help today. Really appreciate it. And we'll look forward to catching up with you again in December. Thank you, Walter. All right, thank you. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll see you next time right back here on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Ohio. CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice. Insurance and tax services offered through CP Weldy Group are not affiliated with PCA. Information received from this podcast should not be viewed as individual investment advice. Product discussions and illustrations are hypothetical in nature and will vary based on many factors, including but not limited to age, health, product, insurance carrier, and product design. You should consult the insurance carrier website and policy for detailed information. Content may have been created by a third party and was not written or created by a PCA-affiliated advisor and does not represent the views or opinions of PCA or its subsidiaries. For information pertaining to the registration status of PCA, please contact the firm or refer to the Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website, www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For additional information about PCA, including fees and services, send for our disclosure statement as set forth on Form ADV from PCA using the contact information herein. Please read the disclosure statement carefully before you invest or send money.